Welcome to Tech Insights from Infotech Research Group, the podcast where our team of expert analysts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters. Have you heard the story of how Blue Dot predicted the pandemic using its AI software? It's true. The software firm's early warning system was triggered on New Year's Eve of 2019. Back when many of us in North America were blissfully unaware of what was to come. Listen to this clip from 60 Minutes, which told the story with the help of Blue Dot CEO, Dr. Cameron Kahn. Chinese officials were secretive about what was happening, but Blue Dot's computer doesn't rely on official statements. Their algorithm was already churning through data, including medical bulletins, even livestock reports, to predict where the virus would go next. It was also scanning the ticket data from 4,000 airports. And just draw right over the city of Wuhan, and it'll reveal the locations of airports. Blue Dot wasn't just tracking flights, but calculating the cities at greatest risk. On December 31st, there were more than 800,000 travelers leaving Wuhan, some likely carrying the disease. So these yellow lines reflect the nonstop flights going out of Wuhan, and then the blue circles reflect the final destinations of travelers. The larger the circle, the larger number of travelers who are going to that location. These were many of the first cities that actually received cases of COVID-19 as it spread out of mainland China. You can do that in a matter of seconds? We can analyze and visualize all this information across the globe in just a few seconds. What Blue Dot did was amazing. It predicted the future. But I'm here to tell you a secret. You don't need an AI platform to practice foresight. Futurists are people that make a practice of tuning that trend's dial and are able to isolate signals clearly. And you can be a futurist too. Here to help us with our desire to predict the future are two of my colleagues. We have David Glazer, the Strategy and Innovation Practice Lead at Infotech. Welcome, Dave. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. And we have Adib Gubril, an executive advisor at Infotech. What's up? What up, Brian? Guys, to get started, I just want you to share your favorite prediction that you ever made. Dave? Ooh, favorite prediction? Yeah. Uh, I suppose my favorite prediction was more of a short-term, um, on a short-term horizon, um, it was when... Uh, well, it was when the Fukushima um, reactors went off. Um, I predicted that uh, that the uh, BC media was going to ask uh, whether uh, uh, Vancouverites and, and other um, residents of British Columbia uh, were going to need to take potassium iodide pills, and uh, and that ended up uh, coming to coming to pass, and and uh, um, you know was able to get some uh, proactive. Uh, media lines developed um, to, to, to help address that. So um, that's what I would, would call out. Cool. You know, uh, I think it's the anniversary of the Fukushima disaster today. So very timely. Look at it's that. It's true. It's true. Adib, uh, what's your favorite prediction? Way to put us on the spot, Brian. <laughs> uh, I think uh, so in the primaries of 20, was it 2016 or so? When uh, the Donald announces candidacy. 
I, I predict that he would win. Not only would win the, the, the party leadership, but win the whole thing. And wow. I, and, and so that was kind of cool. Now, at the time, I had to come up with assumptions because I, I didn't want it to just make highfalutin predictions. I wanted to base it on a few things. And so when I, I wrote it out in a LinkedIn post, I wrote out my assumptions so that if anybody would say, hey, you were just, you know, you're, 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 you're opportunist, I want to say, no, it's based on something. So that, so I'm very proud of that. Okay, very nice. And I'll share mine too. Uh, back when I first used uh, Google Home, the smart speaker, and I got it uh, before it was released in Canada. It had shipped up from the U.S., and um, after re using it for a little while, I realized that um, it would create like a new media channel in Canada in a way through in its like uh, morning um, routine when you listen to your podcast briefs. And it's like this specific type of podcast that's shorter. And I realized that would be an opportunity to build an audience and, and later, I was able to launch a podcast and take advantage of that. And, and that podcast is still around today. Hashtag trending. So uh, that was my favorite prediction. Nice job, guys. So you got a, you got a sort of a personal prediction. You've got a very practical prediction. And then you got the, uh, the highfalutin prediction. <laughs> That's right. Predictions of all, they come in all flavors. So those are some predictions. But when we talk about the practice of foresight, like, what does that mean to you? The practice of foresight, what does it mean? Um, well, it, it, it means uh, essentially trying to uh, dedicate effort into uh, uh, interpreting what is happening right now so that we can uh, project um, into, uh, into the future and, uh, and plan for it accordingly, uh, essentially. Um, that, that's how I would... I would Nice. Mm -hmm. Adib, do you have anything to add to that? Essentially, that's it. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool word. Some might feel it's, uh, it's a touch pretentious, but essentially it's about scenario planning and uh, mm -hmm. short of being a segue for the next segment of this conversation. Right. And I think when people hear the word foresight, they do sort of get that image of the oracle gazing into the crystal ball and uh, foretelling exactly what will come. But when we talk about foresight in more of a real world pragmatic sense, we're trying to think about what are the possibilities? What are the potential things that could happen in the future? And if they do happen, could it be an advantage to sort of get ready for that? So we have three different techniques that we can talk about here today. And they will all help you hone your foresight capabilities. And the first one that I want to start with is scenario planning. Uh, Dave, I know that you're partial to this method. And if you wouldn't mind just walking us through the concept. Absolutely. So scenario planning um, involves creating some type of articulation of, uh, of future events. Um, be they, you know, plausible, um, uh, preferred, or to be avoided. Uh, you can be creative with them in terms of uh, making them more narrative-driven um, and, and sort of making it into a story. Uh, you could be pretty, um, uh, I'd say, framework-oriented and, uh, and and more rigid. Um, th th there are some 
sort of uh, maybe foresight purists out there who like to align with the shell scenarios approach, which uh, effectively is is all about creating those two by twos um, where you have uh, these contrasted um, uh, variables uh, that you've selected through uh, through the process of identifying drivers and, and categorizing some as critical uncertainties and, and, and then generating scenarios from that. Um, that uh, that can work. Sometimes it's hard to make it work. Um, but uh, but uh, in a nutshell, a scenario uh, is uh, is something that you uh, will ponder and and consider different um, uh, strategic uh, uh, potentials um, as a result of that scenario, either working back from it or or having you know an if this then that type of conversation where you can say if this scenario occurs, what would we do? Uh, and so that's a uh, yeah, lots of lots of different ways to use scenarios. Uh, very cool strategic planning tool. Yeah, what I like about scenario planning is it lets you apply your imagination because you you get to sort of pitch yourself into this. Uh, what what could the future look like, and what are the things that I'm seeing, and if I could imagine them playing out to some sort of extreme or just some sort of outcome. Uh, what would that look like? But I think the danger for me is that my imagine imagination just starts running out away with it, and I'm like uh, just writing sci-fi at some point. I don't know, Adib. How do you keep that process on the rails? Yeah, I, I can attest to Brian going sci-fi. I've had many <laughs> a sci-fi conversation with you, walking to our, our nearest favorite coffee shop. I wonder when we'll we'll be able to do that again. <laughs> Um, so long ago now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but guys, before I go on, I, I fact-checked myself because now we're we're on air. So 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 the Donald announced June 2015, and it was the fall of 2015 that I wrote that piece. Just to make, make doubly sure here, essentially a year a- a- ahead of the of the, of the elections. Anyway, um, appreciate the honesty. Uh, th- thanks. So 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 uh, we're talking. With scenario planning, you know, wh- how do you keep it on the rails? What's a good, pro- what's sort of like your approach to doing scenario planning? So I, I try to think about objectives, like personal objectives, human objectives. And I think this is the, the four A's. There used to be the, th- the three A's, um, you know, the, you know, the triple A meets sort of a play on that. But my, my eldest, who's in first year, who grew up on steaks, has gone vegetarian on me. So now I, I can't make meat references anymore. So we're gone from AAA to four A's. So essentially, guys, what we're saying is there are two ways humans uh, interact with the world. They they express themselves or they reflect. Okay. So if you if you're if you if you're ref, uh, expressing yourself, you could be doing something or getting something done. That's that sort of automation, augmentation, um, yin and yang, if you will. Augmentation means I want to be better at expressing myself, whatever that expression is, be it a physical expression, a design, a piece of software, a sculpture, you, you get the point. And automation is part of that. I still want to do more with what I've got, but I may not actually be physically doing it myself. I've got some automaton doing it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's on the expression side. On the reflection, it could be a plan, a decision making. I want to, I want to make decisions better. I want to make a process better. So it's a, effectively, I want to be able to decide for others better. 
So that's the sort of the administration and autonomy. So autonomy is sort of like self-administration. Again, a yin and the yang, but it's on the flip side, if you will. So if you look at those four A's, you start thinking, where could the innovation be? You know, because if, 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 they, if, if some innovation or if, if some trend is uh, supporting one of these four A's, it could very well indeed be a trend that sticks, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I like that. The four A's, that's a very good sort of mnemonic to remember the different types of outcomes that people are trying to achieve when they use technology. And I think that's a useful way to sort of guide uh, scenario planning for sure. That if you're trying to think of technology in those sort of categories and, and what are we trying to achieve with it? What could it achieve? Uh, how will humans use this technology? Um, so that's good coverage of scenario planning. Why don't we move on to the next technique? It's all about using a PESTLE framework. And this is an analysis favorite at Infotech. Uh, it's an acronym that I have to explain here. Uh, it stands for political, economic, social, technological, legal, and environmental. So you have all these different sort of factors or areas that you have to consider and you're thinking through this uh, set of implications that fit into each one of these boxes. Uh, so Adib, you start this time. How do you use this framework? Uh, indeed. So this is the front end. So when when David is talking about scenario planning, this is, uh, this is sort of like, okay, what, what the, contemplating the what ifs, okay? And after we've, all that contemplation is done, you, we have to start actually doing some work, and and that starts with you know gathering signals. Now, what what kind of signals are we going to gather, and how do we know that we've gathered all the signals that we could gather? And so the pestle, and, and by the way, the the ongoing debate of whether it's a pestle or a pestle, I think Glaze and I are on the pestle camp, Brian. Yeah, this is very controversial. Is it a hard T sound? A softy sound, I don't know. We'll have to get Glazer to be the tiebreaker here. But um, so, so essentially, what we're doing here, folks, is is looking at these elements, these six elements, and gathering signals from all six domains. And in so doing, we cover everything that ever happens anywhere around the world. Okay. So th these are mutually exclusive domains that. Uh, if, right. if, 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 if covered, would, would give us all the signals we could possibly muster. To, That's to... right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. It's sort of like a key to provoke your thoughts and think about things from these different aspects. And then uh, once you've written out all your signals into those boxes, uh, it's time to cluster them together. So, Dave, you come in here. You tell us what, what the clustering exercise is all about. And uh, how do you accomplish it? Yeah, so this is uh, this is probably one of the harder aspects of a foresight process, um, and, and uh, it's that's uh, probably because it's where the most of I, 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 well, a lot of a lot of the process involves human factors, um, but uh, but probably uh, some of the deeper ones uh, in, in this regard, um, you know, finding the commonalities between. Um, between the signals and, um, and, and and making a judgment call as to if they're related or not, um, and 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 then uh, and then testing that out um, is uh, is is 
what the trend identification process is all about. Uh, the whole, uh, and maybe if I can step back here a second, um, the whole purpose of picking up signals and, and what we mean by a signal is it's a discrete event. It's like a one-off um, uh, instance um, that is happening out there that represents some type of change. Uh, it could be an, a company investing into a specific type of technology. It could be uh, somebody wearing a specific type of T-shirt. Um, it, it's, it's, it's one-off. Um, but if you see a, a bunch of other um, entities following suit, you might be observing the onset of a trend. And, uh, and that's really um, the, the leap that, that needs to get made is, is going from signal to trend. And so we would define a trend as a cluster of similar signals that are indicating some type of shift. Um, and then we typically call that shift uh, a trend. Uh, going back to the, the pestle uh, question, I guess I broke the tie there. Pestle. <laughs> I've always called it pestle. I, I also uh, enjoy the use of the, the, the steep uh, framework, uh, which is the same, uh, basically is the same uh, concept, um, minus one letter. Um, that's from more military-based uh, planning, I suppose. Um, but but the same idea. Now, the, the pestle can be used to categorize signals. It could also be used um, on the other end uh, when you're analyzing trends, um, trying to understand why the trend is happening, uh, uncovering what we call the drivers of a trend. Uh, so that, that's more of a causal um, uh, analysis. But, uh, but either way, it's just a good way to, to categorize um, your, your, uh, your information gathering or your analysis activities. And, uh, and so, you know, some organizations that have a more advanced approach to signal gathering, they, they might use PESTEL as a tagging taxonomy um, to categorize information as they pull it mm -hmm. in, um, that, uh, for instance. But, uh, but there's no real uh, easy way to answer that question, Brian, in terms of how you go from signal to trend. Uh, sometimes, you know, you're putting stickies on a, on a board and you're, <laughs> and you're clustering them together physically. Um, uh, other, other times, um, you're, uh, you're, you're, you might have some type of quantitative um, tool that, that might help you um, by, by aggregating information, um, like looking at uh, uh, changes in public sentiment, let's say, over time. Um, that that's a, that's a way to kind of bridge the gap between signal and trend, um, but uh, but but there's a there's no one perfect way of doing that. Right. So you just have to sort of approach it organically and and find out what makes sense to you as you're going through the process. Um, but I think starting with the pestle and then grouping themes together is a pretty good start towards uh, identifying a trend. And if you realize that. There's so, sort of factors that are common across these different areas um, that can be like a stronger indicator. But um, the way we you were talking about pestle and steep there got me thinking of anagrams for pestle, and that could resolve the whole uh, pronunciation problem. So how about spleet? That could be the new <laughs> technique. Spleet. I think you have a winner there, Brian. Nice. All right. Let's talk about the last technique here, um, and it doesn't involve any anagrams so the, or, or acronyms even, so that's good. Um, let's talk with uh, let's talk about you know working through second order effects. So what is a second order effect? It's sort of like a possible outcome uh, and then asking yourself, well, and then what will happen? So to understand a second order effect, 
you have to understand what is a first order effect. And that's simply picking a plan that someone has made to achieve a goal. And if that goal is achieved, that would be a first order effect. So let's get into an example for this one. NASA has a plan to put the first woman on the moon by the year 2024. Very ambitious uh, goal here. And if a future woman astronaut does indeed put her boots on lunar dust, that would be a first order effect of this plan coming to fruition. But a second order effect might be what sort of jobs that young girls around the world imagine for themselves in the future as a result of witnessing this. So Adib, I'm going to bring you in here as the uh, expert because I know you have four girls and I wonder how you think they would react if they saw a woman walking on the moon. Well, I do indeed have four girls. Thanks, Brian, for putting me on the spot. Well, let me tell you, girl power is kind of a big deal in my household. And, um, and, and my girls are always quick to point out if, if there's a, uh, a female action uh, a character on TV or uh, is somebody, a female in leadership position of any kind. They're, they're, they're always very proud and, uh, and, and it gives them a feeling that they essentially can do and be whatever they want, which is exactly the feeling that we've always, we've always had. I mean, my wife and I always had for them. So now having said that specifically, I don't think that, I don't know if my, if my girls would be into being astronauts, but it, it does elevate one's um, sort of spirits. And, and it makes you feel that uh, you, you can do exactly what you want to do in life. And, and that's a pretty good second order effect if, I, if I'm answering the question. Yeah, you definitely are. I think it will get them imagining all sorts of different future possibilities, realizing that what they've seen in the past isn't the limitation for what they can do in the future. And the trick for this technique is to look for linkages between loosely connected systems. So... Uh, to try and think about what are these linkages, where do I look for them, it can be helpful to uncover the drivers behind possible trends. Um, so Dave, why don't you uh, try and explain how drivers inform trends? Absolutely. So if a trend is the what, the driver is the why. Uh, it's the reason that the trend is occurring. Um, it could be because of, uh, uh, let, let's say, uh, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, we have uh, digital wallets becoming more and more popular, um, you know, the payment through applications. Um, a potential driver of that beyond the technological uh, capabilities could be uh, the fact that people have so many cards, so many different uh, credit cards, so many different rewards cards, and the desire for consolidation um, from a social perspective, um, that from a human perspective, um, could be a driver of that. And once you have that uh, underlying why the the trend is occurring, then you could start to you know consider whether um, what is out there in terms of uh, you know the trends in terms of the current solutions, whether it's effectively meeting the need that's been expressed or not. And, and this can kickstart uh, some some ideation. Um, some some potential new product or, or service uh, design, um, if that's what you're going for. Um, so always important to not just stop at what is happening, but also ask that question, why? Uh, it also uh, ends up being an input into the scenarios. Uh, so we look at uh, 
um, you know, the, the drivers of a trend, the causal forces. And of those uh, drivers, the ones that we know are going to be the most impactful, um, but also the ones that we're least sure about in terms of how things will play out. Uh, those are what we call critical uncertainties. And they're the variables we like to center in on when we're developing scenarios, especially if we're going to develop a set of, of um, contrasting scenarios, uh, looking at the, you know, the different things that might happen as a result of trend X. So uh, drivers being a real critical point uh, going from just an observation of what is happening to understanding why and then what you're going to do about it. Very nice. Well, I think we've covered everything that we could possibly need to know about predicting the future, guys. What do you think? It's a great first step. <laughs> Maybe in the future there'll be something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I just want to thank my guest today, Dave, Adib. Thanks so much, guys, for coming in and telling us about how to uh, improve our foresight capabilities. Thank Brian, you. Brian, it's a pleasure. And here's a prediction for you, listener. Tech Insights will be back next week on Monday morning. Make sure to subscribe, or I guess uh, we're now supposed to actually tell you to follow this podcast, uh, because that's what Apple is saying now, that you follow podcasts, you don't subscribe to them. So whether you're subscribing to us or you're following us, uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and really wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brian Jackson. Thank you.